everyone thanks for listening to this week's social action briefing i am craig milch and i'm joined as always by professor jessica mitchell hello jess hey craig um so this week um we do not have uh the segment of uh republicans uh, bragging about things or taking credit for things that they oppose but we do have a nice example of uh, Republican hypocrisy. Um, and this is actually, it comes from uh, Justice Alito of the Supreme Court, who is not supposed to be a partisan actor. And uh, I think all of the justices get uh, very pearl clutchy if you try to claim that they are not completely impartial. But, um, Justice Alito this week. Uh, so after signing on to a concurrence saying that it was okay um, for Alabamans to wait until after the 2022 election to have a Voting Rights Act compliant map that we've previously talked about um, in a dissent this week, uh, he said it would be against the public interest for an election to be held with a North Carolina map that might ultimately be struck down. Um, there is a 6-3 vote to uh, deny uh, a, the North Carolina legislature's redistricting appeal. There was a map that the state Supreme Court um, deemed unconstitutional and then had it drawn um, either by experts or with consulting of experts, but basically a fair map. Um, I know that Jesse, you were very shocked to hear that uh, that Alito exhibited some uh, uh, hypocrisy in the uh, interest of uh, conservative uh, political positions. I mean, very surprised. And uh, like, let me say this: I obviously do not, in any way, agree with conservative tendencies. Um, but we are all political. We're all partisan beings. And having the expectation that judges are just going to put their robes on and forget their own partisan leanings is utterly ridiculous, which is why we need to be so mindful of the people that we appoint to these benches. Yes. Um, and uh, OK, so what happened was the a three judge state superior court panel that threw out the map uh, that the legislature drew relied on advice from three outside advisors that are called special masters, which was a former uh, New North Carolina Supreme Court justice, two of them, and then a former UNC system president. Um, and then, so Kavanaugh on this, remember he in, Al in the Alabama case said that uh, it was too close to the election to require fair maps. He stuck to that principle here, saying that it was too close to the election. Um, but he wants a merits hearing um, on the elections clause. So similar to the non-delegation doctrine that we talked about previously, which um, certain conservatives want to challenge the idea that uh, 
that Congress can delegate the enforcement of laws to the executive through, you know, executive agencies like the EPA. Um, now that there's a 6-3 court, there's something uh, called the independent state legislature theory that um, that conservatives may be looking to strike uh, down fair maps on, on the basis of it. Um, basically, it's that the Constitution says that the states will decide how to administer elections, but Congress can pass laws to override that. And they're using some cockamamie reading that has no precedent that says um, it, that the Constitution doesn't say that courts can overturn uh, state legislatures. Um, but that's how it works with all other laws and the constitution doesn't say it should work any differently. So that's why it's never been a thing. Now they're trying to make it a thing. Um, a concurrence in Bush versus Gore cited this doctrine. Um, the concurrence was written by the chief justice at the time, William Rehnquist, who was joined by uh, Anthony Scalia, who was dead, and Clarence Thomas, who, Unfortunately, is still alive. Um, <laughs> uh, also, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh adopted this uh, theory in a shadow docket dispute over Wisconsin election laws, and Alito cited it in a Pennsylvania case about absentee ballots. So that's four that have uh, tried to use this. Um, so that's. Uh, they're going to basically try to give state legislatures uh, the ability to draw maps with impunity. Super cool, super great. Can't wait to see what happens with that. Uh, uh, this is just like a difficult, <laughs> it's such a difficult issue. We're trying to stop gerrymandering and this, you know, obviously just telling states that they're allowed to do whatever they want without any reprisal is really ridiculous, but I, I don't know what the actual answer is to stop this process. You know, even in New York, look at our maps this year. You look at the third congressional district um, and it's like, what, what is that? Starts in Smithtown on Long Island, goes up to Westchester. The first time I looked at it, I was like, when's this gonna stop? Um, so we all do it. Everybody does it. It's not something new and, and we got to figure out a way to, to get rid of it. Well, I mean, so I think with New York, it was just a decision to just do it in a super partisan way to like counteract other states. And yeah. like we had the independent commission or whatever and just decided not to do it. But I mean, I think, I mean, I didn't, I haven't seen this in like expert analysis, but it seems pretty obvious to me like the constitution says that congress can override state legislatures so if congress just passes good anti-gerrymandering legislation like effective then that would over that would overcome even this uh this uh, independent state legislature theory thing so, Although, yeah. so congress like can you know obviously like the 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 constitution and like federal law take precedent um, and this is something that I don't think many people argue about that Congress has the authority to try to stop this from happening. 
But what I'm saying is like, how do you even write that bill? Like what anti-gerrymandering bill is really going to stop them from doing it? Because as we see through lawsuits, you know, attorneys for the states can come up with any justifiable reason to say that they should look this way, that like, this is actually a logical thing. And who's to argue with them? Like, who, like, how are you, how are you going to effectively stop people when we come up with so many reasons for doing things? Like even, even Republican states that draw blatantly Republican districts will say like, oh, you know, this one looks this way because we needed to have a minority district. And then that offset, like all the rest of this stuff, like it's so easy to come up with very partisan, but also like very logical reasons of why you drew a map the way you drew a map. And yes, New York State did it partially as a counter to what was going on in the rest of the country. Most of our districts, like we, through gerrymandering, we flipped two Republican districts um, for the House into blue seats, but you know, it, it doesn't, <laughs> two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, I'm not sad that they did it, because we need democratic states to do it we need like democrats to finally start playing by the rules that republicans are setting but it doesn't make it any more right the people of westchester and the bronx given that there's probably going to be a democratic person from long island filling that seat no matter what are gonna get shitty representation from their congressperson now which is unfortunate yeah. I mean, yeah, and definitely. I, I think there is a way to enact legislation to uh, have fair, not crazy maps drawn. I mean, there's probably always going to be some kind of like cat and mouse game. Like, look at what happened with abortion. Like, uh, Texas passes a law with with like vigilante justice that's never been done before. I'm sure there'll always be some sort of like crackpot way to try to subvert the system but i mean yeah you know that it, it could definitely be a lot better it's, it would be better for like the status quo to be maps are fair and then maybe some people figure out some ways to gerrymander and then you have to pass legislation that closes those loopholes but i'd rather be in that situation than what we're in now no 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 a hundred percent i completely agree with you but my issue with it is is that i don't think I don't think that it's going to turn into the minority as the one that are gerrymandering. Like everyone's still going to figure out a way to do it in my mind. Like it's just so hard to properly legislate this issue. And I'm not saying I'm, this isn't me discouraging people from trying because we should try to get to like a better place. But I just, I think this is actually one of the biggest issues we have. And one of the ones that is like largely unsolvable completely um you know we could feed everybody we could just decide to do it tomorrow it's really not that hard but we haven't but this is like an issue that's like beyond just we need to reallocate money it's not it's just i'm trying to say it's like not a simple thing to solve we should try but it's not that simple i mean i haven't seen too much analysis that says like if the freedom to vote act or you know hr1 or whatever is passed that there will still be gerrymandering I haven't really heard that. There will be. <laughs> it's really, right. like, you heard it here first on social action briefing. Uh, <laughs> it just, there's always, you know, especially with like computers and predictive models and all that stuff. Like it's just, it's such an easy thing to do. 
it's just, I don't think any piece of legislation is just going to get rid of it. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, I could be very wrong, but I would love to see the bill pass. I'm not, I this is not discouraging. Wrong. This is not <laughs> it was meant to be discouraging. I just think it's like a really hard thing. Yeah. Um, well, I hope we're in the position to find out that it actually does get passed and we can find out. Um, although I think the first thing it would have to be uh, to, for if any legislation is passed for it to uh, hold up in the Supreme Court with the 6-3 court is really the, that, that's what worries me the most about like what, you know, passing anti-gerrymandering legislation and it eventually not working out. I'd be much more concerned about the Supreme Court than like the inability to write effective legislation for like the greatest legal minds in the in constitutional law or whatever. But uh, um, so yeah. Um, so the uh, national attention and much much uh, of the like news coverage that I've been seeing has been dedicated to Ukraine, which we talked about. And I don't think there's sufficiently anything different, you know, that's gone on that is any, you know, that we need to add anything that we said before. Um, but there actually is uh, legislating going on, um, which was really uh, news to me as, you know, until like this afternoon, um, there's stuff going on. There's an omnibus bill that's about to pass, um, which, basically is like a budget bill and then they throw a bunch of stuff in there all the time um and this is gonna be a generally positive section um but i think we will just get some negative out of the way um first of all there was supposed so the white house had requested 22.5 billion in covid protections to be in this bill um and then there's gonna be 15.6 billion and then it got taken out completely because Republicans. That's all you really need to know about that. Um, and uh, this, I didn't even realize that this next piece was a part of the omnibus bill. I was gonna have it towards the end because it deals with uh, universal school meals, um, which is what we talked about in uh, last week is happening in Maine. Um, so those waivers that uh, allowed the, those districts in Maine to like figure out how to get meals to everybody um, are not going. They're not going to be extended um, in the omnibus bill. Um, they had, it, again, it allowed schools to serve free meals to all students um, and played a major role in curbing child hunger during the pandemic. Um, it would have extended the agricultural department's authority. Uh, and uh, it, it had been previously seen as pretty non-controversial and uh, bipartisan, but earlier this week, there were reports that came out how uh, Mitch McConnell and others ex uh, opposed extending the waivers. Um, so it was all of a sudden it was in danger. They, uh, they're arguing that the waiver was never meant to be permanent and that the $11 billion price tag to extend it for another year wasn't palatable to Republicans concerned about the deficit increasing, which is uh, a bullshit reason in all cases, but especially this one, because it's about feeding children. Um, the omission comes despite an intense lobbying effort 
by school administrators uh, and child nutrition experts. One of which uh, delivered tens of thousands of emails to congressional inboxes by Tuesday evening. We're recording this uh, Wednesday, March 9th. Um, the, the advocates warned that refusing allow, to allow the USDA to extend the waivers uh, will result in catastrophic blow to schools' ability to serve meals. Of course, this comes at a time of tremendous instability and strain on schools' capacity to provide meals given the ongoing pandemic, supply chain issues, inflation making food more expensive, staffing shortages, and uncertainty over how Russia's invasion of Ukraine will drive up gas and oil prices. So as a result of the waiver not being extended, there will be a 40% decrease in reimbursement for school meals that will go into effect at the beginning of the school year. Uh, there'll be financial penalties if schools can't meet their certain requirements like vegetable, fruit, or whole grain requirements. Um, there will be pandemic-friendly ways to serve meals like grab-and-go stations or classroom distribution of meals, which have been uh, essential ways to provide food during staffing shortages. Those are gone. And uh, school districts and community organizations are concerned that they won't be able to provide meals this summer at all without the waiver extension. Now, if you remember, Maine uh, planned for, I think they planned for the waivers to expire. Now they, they had passed the law that the state will fund um, you know, their universal program, which is great for Maine, but obviously not every state has that or you may not even have the capability to do that politically or budget-wise. So uh, very unfortunate development. Um, feed children. That's really all I have to say on this topic. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I doubt we would ever be in a position, uh, where we would have like, uh, like true reporting or legitimate analysis that, you know, so-and-so's country collapsed, the economy collapsed because, uh, they were feeding children. Like, no, not happening. Um, like, <laughs> hard. Yeah, just, um, just do it. We are the richest country in the world. I think that at a bare minimum, we could feed children, like the barest of minimums. Yeah. What a crazy uh, system makes no sense. Um, so on to the things that the legislation will do. Um, there will be 13.6 billion in support for Ukraine. It will extend federal regulatory jurisdiction to vaping uh, and synthetic nicotine, which is uh, was called in this uh, U.S. news story a huge win uh, over the powerful vaping lobby. Um, actually, it might not have been the U.S. news. It might have been uh, Jonathan Weissman from the New York Times. That those two and CBS News, where I'm getting all this stuff from. Um, what else will it do? So it'll increase the Max Pell Grant by four hundred dollars, which um, is really not a lot, but it's something. Uh, there's a billion dollars for cancer research. There's a hundred and twelve point two billion dollars for the VA which includes a 97.5 billion for veterans medical care 
including mental health care, women's health, and homelessness assistance, which makes sense. You know, this is a bipartisan bill. Veterans health care is something that, uh, like, there, as an aside, so there's like this uh, UFC fighter from Arkansas that was on Fox News talking about, I'm not going to go fight in Ukraine, but if they came to Arkansas, I'd, I'd, you know, I wouldn't leave, I'd fight. Like, okay, no one's asking you to go to Ukraine or fight in Arkansas. But, uh, and he was like parroting like Fox News propaganda. But one thing he did said is, did say is like, we spend all this money on wars, but we don't uh, support our veterans. Like, it's a very, like, even the Fox Newsiest of Trump psychos will, like, the, like the biggest one that I, that I know that I used to work with. I was able to get him to agree that we should uh, have universal health care for veterans. So, um, you know, makes sense that this made it into this uh, omnibus bill. Um, also, what makes sense is that uh, 3.9 billion in grants to state and local law enforcement, which was an increase of 506.4 million above the fiscal year 2021. and Strangely enough, no uh, no concerns over uh, the deficit for that. I'm going to go back to my last statement and say that we should feed children over this. Yeah. 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 Um, so also in the omnibus bill, uh, there's going to be a reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act that... Uh, will include a tribal title that restores justice for native communities and gives tools to keep native families safe. Um, that's according to Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii. This had, uh, it had lapsed in 2019 over disputes on extending protections for native women. So good that we got that uh, resolved. It's the first reauthorization in nearly a decade. Funding has been approved in the interim but reauthorization has been needed to update the legislation with adequate protections. Uh, Senator Feinstein of California laid out uh, some of the additional protections. So the measure, the measure would strengthen, according to her, uh, existing programs to support survivors and to prevent and to respond to domestic violence. And that's dating violence and sexual assault and stalking. She also, um, added that the legislation would enhance and expand services, quote, for survivors of domestic violence, including survivors in rural communities, LGBT survivors, uh, end quote, as well as survivors with disabilities and strengthen the criminal justice response to domestic violence. However, it will not address the boyfriend loophole. Um, is that, was that allowing the boyfriend loophole is that allowing for restraining orders against like non spouses, or does it have to do with it has to do with guns, right? Okay, I'm not really sure, so I just don't want to give an answer. <laughs> so it was, I know it was well. So it has to do. It must have. I remember it. Uh, it was not addressed because of pro gun advocates. Um, so, oh, this is what I, it is. So, okay, so, all right, you say it then. Yeah, federal law prohibits domestic abusers from having guns, but only if they have been married to 
have lived with or have a child with the victim. Okay, that's what so, I thought it was, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah, basically it's just another way of government to like not appreciate people who are in long-term relationships that they just don't want the government to sanction. <laughs> like, I feel no need after 10 years to like go to the government to be like, please recognize my relationship. But like at the same time, they provide no protection when really at the end of the day, you're relationship with a person shouldn't be the excuse for them to be allowed to harm you in any way whether it's a friendship or like a long-term relationship like none of that like why do we even need to define it like why can't we just protect people from abusers it could be your mailman like yeah (laughs) if you i mean i guess it wouldn't be domestic abuse but like whatever anyone i mean I am very hawkish on gun restrictions, so. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I know, so am I. It just, I don't understand. The world that we live in, I'm having a very difficult time, <laughs> like, rationalizing almost anything we do today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, we've mentioned it before, especially you know, doing the podcast to just look at all these issues where things don't make sense and things can be so much better and they're not. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think back to like when, you know, same sex couples weren't included, which led people to not report and, you know, led to like huge amounts of stigma. And now all the stuff that's going on today where we're just trying to like backtrack on everything. And it's just, oh yeah wildly out of control what is going on in this world and with the complete wrong people trying to legislate morality it's just crazy yeah um another law that i believe it's passed both houses and is expected to be signed by biden um it uh outlaws binding arbitration for cases involving sexual assault or harassment. So the act amends the Federal Arbitration Act to provide that at the election of the person asserting the claim, no mandatory arbitration agreement, quote, shall be valid or enforceable with respect to a case uh, relates to sexual assault or sexual harassment dispute. Um, The, and I just included the same uh, quote twice here, but uh, what I meant to include was that upon signing the bill, so yeah, uh, Biden signed it. Once he signed it, he said, when it comes to sexual harassment and assault, forced arbitration, shielded perpetrators, silent survivors, enabled employers to sweep episodes of sexual assault, harassment under the rug, and it kept survivors from knowing if others have experienced the same thing in the same workplace at the hands of the same person. So uh, this undoes harm that has been routinely uh, committed. So that was signed into law. Um, Things are happening that aren't terrible, but plenty of terrible things are. (laughs) I mean, we, you know, we have to take the good and continue to advocate for the rest. Yep. Um, and 
so this is sort of revisiting something we've talked about previously. Um, we've previously mm -hmm. talked about how the Postal Service has had to pre-fund health benefits uh, for employees, which um, has, you know, it costs like $50 billion or something and just put them behind the eight ball in terms of the budget. So the Postal Service Reform Act uh, is, I believe, just set to pass at this point. Um, the House passed it last month and the Senate passed it yesterday. Um, so it would improve the Postal Service's finance by removing that requirement and shifting to a pay-as-you-go method. It will also require employees to enroll in Medicare, which would reduce the cost of healthcare premiums. Uh, it will require all post offices to serve customers for at least six days a week. Uh, the Mark Diamondstein, the president of the American Postal Workers Union said the bill would allow the agency to hire more mail clerks and expand hours rather than continuing to cut them. Um, and it will also, as a little bonus, create an online dashboard so you can track delivery times, you know, like you can do with FedEx and UPS. So. Oh, which is so lovely. I mean, <laughs> really need to modernize what's going on. But I, I wonder, the requirements keep post offices open six days a week. Like, I wonder what that's actually going to do to their budget. Um, and not to say like a lot of post offices should be open six days a week, but I'm just thinking of like little rural places that don't really need it. If that's going to end up costing a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in the article, right after they mentioned that requirement, they talk about how advocates say the bill could most benefit rural America, where closures and reductions um, affect the most vulnerable. No, I'm just thinking like the six day a week thing. Like I, you know, I know that there's yeah. been a lot of closures. There's been a lot of staffing issues in rural places, but I'm just wondering if it's really necessary in like a town with like a hundred people that it like has to be open six days a week. Um, and what that's going to do to employees too, to be forced mm -hmm. to work that much in places that have, you know, not enough staff. But I mean, overall, it's fine. I'm not. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. But just you know, sometimes those blanket statements of you know everyone has to do the same thing don't don't work out that well. Would have been nice to even encourage it or put like a population requirement on it. Um, obviously, being open five days a week, you know. It's fine it's necessary but yeah um yeah i mean they'll be in a better financial position to staff it i guess yes. uh, yeah so yeah i think it's on the whole it's an good. improvement um i saw recently DeJoy decided to order a bunch of uh gas guzzling vans rather than Oh, an electrified fleet and it was like just big enough that it didn't have to be electric um yeah it's weird that he's still the postmaster general i think it has to do with uh that's exactly like, what i was thinking like why is he even still there yeah um i i think it's it has to do with like pending appointments or something like that um Although here's an article from today, 
the headline, although it's Newsweek, which has turned into like a right wing rag, but the headline is calls to fire Lewis DeJoy grow as Senate passes postal service reform bill. Uh, but he, he pushed for the passage of the bill. Interestingly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, like why he's still there or if he's still going to be there. Uh, maybe by next episode, we'll figure it out. But, uh, he, I don't know. I mean, there's sense. a lot, you know, there's a lot to be said for the fact that it's been over a year. It's not, you know, you can't expect everything to change in a day, but um, it's been a year. Yeah. It's been more than a year. Maybe, maybe it's time. <laughs> I think, I think I read something that sort of like laid out procedurally why it hasn't happened yet, but I also feel like Biden could probably fire anyone he wants to in his executive agency. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, look into it in the intervening week here. Um, so yeah, the last time we talked about that was around the election. Um, and of course, the vote by mail, you know, facilitated by the post office was accused of being uh, a conduit for voter fraud by characters such as Mark Meadows. And wouldn't you know, uh, it came out that uh, Mark Meadows was registered to, and his wife were registered to vote in a three bedroom mobile home in Scaly Mountain, North Carolina, six weeks before the 2020 uh, election. Um, And this form asks for a residential address, quote, where you physically live uh, and are signed, quote, under the penalty of perjury. According to Charles Bethea of the, or Bethea of the New Yorker, uh, Meadows and his wife have never lived there and Meadows himself may have never set foot in the house. Uh, The former owner told the New Yorker that his wife, Deborah Meadows, had rented the house once, but only spent one or two nights there. Uh, Mark Meadows never stayed at all. And when the house was put on the market the summer of 2020, she said Meadows never expressed any interest in buying it. Um, And in fact, Mark Meadows is currently registered in both North Carolina and Virginia, nearly a year after registering at the Mountain Mobile Home on September 13th and 15th, 2021. Uh, Mark and Deborah respectively registered to vote in Virginia and voted in the governor's uh, election there. Um, During Trump's presidency, several members of his White House inner circle, including Jared Kushner and Steve Bannon were registered to vote in two states Although there's no evidence that any of them voted twice in the same election. Uh, here are some August 2020 quotes from one Mark Meadows. Quote, I don't want my vote or anyone else's to be disenfranchised. Do you realize how inaccurate the voter rolls are with people just moving around? Anytime you move, you'll change your driver's license, but you don't call up and say, hey, by the way, I'm re-registering. So a little bit of a projection there. Uh, another quote. Uh, We need to make sure that everybody's vote is cast, but we also need to make sure that no one else disenfranchises those by creating a fraud on the voting system. So, uh, 
yeah i don't know it's just maybe it's just my bias but like all these all these confirmed cases of voter fraud just keep being republicans i mean I don't know. I don't want to say that it's never a Democrat because <laughs> I'm sure that there are cases somewhere of Democrats being registered twice or whatever the case is. But it just seems that, you know, there's just in a wild amount of Republican voter fraud. <laughs> wild, and, just just in the context of them being the ones claiming it's happening. And then doing it. And it's not yeah. just... It's not just like regular people that are like screwing this up. Like you're Mark Meadows. Like I would assume that you would understand how to deregister yourself. Like when I moved, (laughs) when I was in college, I re-registered to vote on campus when I lived at Stony Brook and I had my initial voter registration was in Suffolk. So I wasn't like that concerned about it. But when I moved to Nassau County, I like called up and made sure I was deregistered in Suffolk. I had put it on my voter registration form, but I wanted to make sure when my sister a couple of years ago finally changed her address to New York City uh, or to Queens where she lives now from Suffolk, I checked for her (laughs) to make sure. And funny enough, they didn't catch it because of this very complicated issue where when she initially registered to vote, she initially registered on paper that I'm hundred percent positive. I filled out for her and she signed. Um, and it was under her, her correct legal, this is on my birth certificate name, but my sister has this really weird issue where when she got her driver's license, her name is longer than the characters allowable on the license. And so her driver's license says that her name is JJ Mitchell. Um, That is not her name. That is her first initial, middle initial, and last name. She has had issues um, purchasing age-restricted things out of state because people think it's a fake ID. It is not a fake ID. Um, When she got her driver's license, there was a character limit. And in order for her to get her full legal name put on her driver's license, she would have to bring all this paperwork back to the DMV and she's just never gotten around to it. So when the first time she registered to vote, she registered on paper. And the second time she registered to vote when she moved to Queens, um, she did it through the DMV when she changed her driver's license. And they did not pick up on the fact that she was the same person and they did not deregister her in Suffolk, but because she has a sister like me, I wrote her a letter that she signed (laughs) and sent to the Suffolk County Board of Elections to get herself deregistered. Like if my sister could bother to sign that and mail it into the Suffolk County Board of Elections, I think Mark Meadows can figure it out. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but like I wouldn't uh, overestimate. I'd be I'd I'd be cautious to overestimate the intelligence of anyone involved in the Trump administration. Yeah, Um, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's really like (laughs) utterly bewildering that this didn't happen. But I have to be honest with you, I like followed up with my sister's thing so much. First of all, it was right before the last presidential election, so obviously she really wanted to vote. Um, but. I also like didn't want to be that person. <laughs> I didn't want to be that hypocrite or be related to somebody like that. <laughs> so I like followed up with her stuff to make sure that it all actually went through because I didn't want to be that person. And let me just say this here now, if I am registered to vote somewhere else, it is not because I did it. Somebody stole my identity. <laughs> <laughs> 
stipulated. <laughs> um, and this whole thing from Meadows, it's shades of uh, Trump. Um, when he was, at, remember he like randomly talked about the toilets and how you like in the, you have to like flush the toilets 10 times at the White House. And it was so much worse than his toilets, uh, like in Trump Tower. And then months oh, later, you remember this. Yeah. And it was, at the time, it was like, okay, that's fucking weird. And then it comes out like months later that there's all these records that were supposed to be preserved that were flushed down the toilet that were like recovered in the pipes. So, like, that I definitely remember. Yeah. Oh, my. It's just this like projecting. And like, that's what Meadows did here, like with the moving and you don't update and, you know, uh, creating a fraud on the voting systems. Like, they just, it, it's every time there's a claim, it's like they did it. Like, like it's like with crook, like Trump saying crooked Hillary, like from there all the way down the list, like anything, all of their attacks are pure projections. It's, it's wild it's really it's just disgusting and you know what we could have us you know a better voting system if people were just willing to talk about it you know one of the reasons why people actually like our voting system is because it is decentralized it makes it harder to hack um but why don't we talk about like election security why don't we talk about a national database of at least just registrants you know, why, like have the conversation, what are the pros and cons of it? But you, if you, whenever you try to get into this, Republicans just don't want to have it. I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm saying, let's have the conversation and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen that as part of um, the conversation. I think, I think it might've been part of Manchin's like compromise bill in that he like wants to address election security and has had like systems that talk to each other so that um you know that discrepancies between different systems were automatically resolved i think i think that's part of the part of the conversation i mean republicans certainly are talking about election security um just yeah but they don't ever want to have like an honest conversation about it they want to like bitch and complain and then they double register and you know they don't want to actually talk about a solution they just want to complain about non-existent problems yes um one such official is a colorado election clerk that we referred to in our december 2nd 2021 episode um in that episode she was referred to as the clerk barred by a judge from supervising an election after she admitted copying the hard drives of election equipment in search of evidence of corruption. And we have an update. Um, so she is, uh, I think it's Tina Peters. She's running for secretary of state in Colorado against the incumbent Jenna Griswold. She was indicted Tuesday evening on 10 criminal counts related to allegations that she tampered with election equipment after the 2020 election. Um, a grand jury indicted her on both felony and misdemeanor charges, including attempting to influence a public servant, criminal impersonation, 
conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation, identity theft, first degree official misconduct, violation of duty, and failing to comply with Secretary of State. And her deputy was also indicted in six counts. So this was one of the people that, you know, the uh, 2020 big lie believers that are trying to, uh, you know, get win secretary, you know, win secretary, secretary of state positions, hold election administrator positions, although she are, you know, she did have the clerk position in the previous election. She's trying to upgrade. Um, And, you know, like, in the past, I might have, you know, thought, okay, well, this indictment happened, so she's going to lose the election. Uh, (laughs) But, but yeah, now it's just enhances her Republican bona fides. You know, it's really, we have to take these things more seriously. You know, we're still, we're, we're still just talking about like the most ridiculous things in elections and trying to make the most trivial things important and ignoring the things that actually matter. Yeah. Um, no, she, so she's not listed on Ballotpedia right now as a... Okay, Ballotpedia is not that reliable because there's some New York races that I'm like, what are you you doing? (laughs) Okay. Well, I think at the very least, this indicates that there are other candidates in the Republican primary. So she may still try to be in it, but uh, there are others at the very least that will try to run against Jenna Griswold. Um, who she won uh, in 2018, 53 to 45, basically. Um, I mean, it's 200 by, yeah, pretty much 200,000 vote margin, which is good, um, but I'm not. uh, It's a lot of votes. Yeah, it's a lot of votes, um, but, you know, not, I'm not, ruling out the fact that this indicted crank gets elected somehow. Um, so yeah, speaking of uh, the world that we live oh, in. Yeah. So speaking of the world that we live in and cranks, uh, in Idaho, the House of Representatives uh, passed a bill Monday afternoon that uh, could lead to librarians being prosecuted for checking out materials that are deemed harmful to minors. Uh, It would remove an exemption that protects libraries, schools, museums, colleges, and universities and their employees uh, for, quote, disseminating material that is harmful to minors. Uh, The sponsor of the bill, uh, Gayanne, D. Mordaunt, uh, that's my best guess at the pronunciation, uh, said it is necessary to protect children from what she described as pornography and obscene material. She said she has been making its way into, uh, she said has been making its way into libraries where children can access it. During a public hearing over the bill last week, concerned parents who backed the bill said they objected to books that featured LGBTQ plus characters in the storyline. Although I feel like when they were actually speaking, they did not use the plus 
uh, or maybe even LGBTQ. Who knows what they actually said, but it's I don't think they said nice. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they said that uh, those books with LGBTQ plus characters and storyline violate their children's innocence and confuse them. Uh, I will throw in that uh, the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida passed the Senate, so I don't see why, why. Not, not I don't see why there are plenty of reasons for Ron DeSantis not to sign it that are you know have to do with morality and logic but I don't see any reason he will abide by them so he'll probably sign that law and then we have this uh bill in in Idaho oh I'm pretty sure he's going to sign that law I unfortunately yeah. still follow people that I went to high school with that posted a video of him like yelling at a reporter that like the bill doesn't do what the public says it does and all this crazy right-wing conspiracy theory bullshit that he likes to throw around because he is just trump jr um packaged a little differently a little bit younger um but yeah i i'm very concerned with all the stuff that is happening all over this country in an effort to just erase LGBTQ plus people from existence. Um, it's frightening <laughs> what they are doing and it's just picking up momentum. I had said a couple of weeks ago, I don't know here or where the hell I was, but it could have been here and other places that what was happening in Texas and Florida it's not going to stop in Texas and Florida, and it's just going to embolden other people to pass similarly themed legislation. And that seems to be what is happening in Idaho. Um, and just as a forceful reminder to human beings who are listening to this and who are in positions to make these changes that LGBT class people exist. <laughs> You cannot erase them. They're going to still be living their lives in the world. Um, this Idaho thing is bullshit because kids have been reading crappy love stories for generations about straight people. I don't really understand why you're pissed that they would learn that there are gay people in the world because all they have to do is walk out their front door. Um, if you are one of the people that is opposing stuff like this, then they do have to walk out their front door. But there are people all over the world that are not like them and live in different circumstances than them and are whatever. It's ridiculous. Like you cannot erase this. We've been assigned Romeo and Juliet for how many years, which is literally a suicide story about two straight people that like each other. So I don't really understand how the rest of this is pornographic. Teenagers um, even. Yeah. Teenagers, whatever. It's been a long time. I was not really into that. <laughs> I have not read it since I was in, whenever they assigned it to me in school was the last time I read it. Um, but this whole Florida thing, you know, the, this, this psycho Republican that I went to high school with, uh, who literally is crazy, um, posted this thing of DeSantis yelling at a reporter about this and claiming that this is only for kindergarten through third grade, but I don't understand how that is considered better like he's trying to make it seem as though only banning talking about sexuality for kindergarten to third graders is like not nearly as horrible as everybody's making it out to be it is horrible because 
Like, what do you tell little Timmy when he shows up to kindergarten with his two mommies? Like, well, we're supposed to pretend one of them doesn't exist. Like, I don't like, it doesn't matter what age group you're banning this for. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I don't understand. Are we, are our kids not allowed to bring books into school now? Are kids not allowed to bring, you know, their two moms or dads into school? Like, I don't understand. Like, are we just going to ignore the fact that children have non-binary parents, like, you know, single parents, whatever. Like, I don't understand how claiming that this is only kindergarten through third grade is supposed to make this any better. Yeah. And it's kindergarten and third grade. And then also there's language to just be like age appropriate in general. So like, so that's what they do. All of this stuff, they have these common attributes where one it's addressing a problem that doesn't exist um you know from critical race theory to you know all the you know anti-trans anti-lgbt us in general like it's there like there's no problem that needs legislation that's being addressed then it is written in a way that if you are a republican trying to defend it um, in an interview, it, you, it can, you can frame it so that it is innocuous and doesn't sound that bad. Um, but really at the same bad. time, like you are giving red meat to your base that you are going after, you know, basically, um, you know, that you're, you're, you're like in support of like, Christian nationalist values um, while also leaving enough room that, you know, teachers, librarians, you know, whoever is getting subject to this um, has their behavior chilled by the vagaries of the legislation. So like they just try to have it all ways. Um, And again, there's no, there's no legitimate basis at all um it's just to you know rile up their christian nationalist base and scare uh you know whatever particular population is the subject to you know the legislation it's just completely disgusting i also find it ridiculous that we we like encourage these like childhood crushes all the time when it's like a little boy and a little girl, but like there, there are kids who know that they are gay. They know that they're straight or they just don't give a shit at that age. And like, everybody should be able to talk about that and every other aspect of being, but it, to me, when you're trying to say, this is for kindergarten to third grade, because you're trying to make it seem not as extreme and, and, like socially acceptable to your base of crazy people who think you can just like silence the gay out of people. Um, To me, it's actually worse when you're saying that this is for kindergarten to third grade because you're teaching kids at a young age when you have to stop them from talking about these things that this is wrong and it's something that you shouldn't talk about and it's something to be embarrassed about and it's worse when you're ingraining it in kids that young as kids get older and things are just normal in their lives and this has just always been you know a part of your 
living experience, it's easier to push back against that ridiculousness. But these are kids who are still trying to figure out what is normal and what is yeah. just, just is. And you are teaching them that the only thing that's normal and the only thing that you can talk about is being in a heteronormative relationship. And that is not true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's probably like, so what would it be like, uh, you know, like a, so like a story that you're reading to a second grader, you know, then, you know, decades past or whatever, you know, it would be, you know, there's a mommy and a daddy and a baby. And then that's what uh, the parent is expecting, you know, these bigoted parents are expecting. And then they find out that it's like, in one story, there were two dads or two moms or non-binary people. And they're like, oh my God, my kid. Oh, how could they learn this? Ah, and it makes them uncomfortable. It's the kid's probably like, whatever. It is, you know, that's life. I'm learning about yeah. life. And then the parent freaks out. And that's what this is all about. But it's like you're in doctor, you are claiming that you don't want your kids indoctrinated into some gay agenda, but it's like you're trying to indoctrinate them into a straight agenda. So like, I don't really yep. understand what the problem with just saying that people live all kinds of different lives and all kinds of different personal relationships and families don't all look the same. Like, how is that wrong? How is making kids comfortable with who they are and their own life circumstances wrong? Because when you are in a classroom and you're a kid, you don't have a large social circle. You're talking to your friends about your family and your cousins and the people who live in your house. Like you don't, you haven't had a lot going on in your life yet. So that's what you're talking about. So are we like gonna, our Florida teachers going to start being required to be like, oh no, I'm sorry, little Timmy, you're only allowed to talk about one of your mommies. Like, I don't like, what, what are you going to do? Like how psychologically scarring is this going to be to these kids sitting in these classrooms that literally just can't talk about the life that they're living because it's now against the law to encourage these conversations. It just, it just, it's so insane to me. And just thinking about the damage that you're doing to the kids in the state and the damage to every single person that you're doing outside of the state, having to constantly think and talk about this stuff and wonder when it's coming to their state. is just ridiculous. I just like the fact that you are trying to justify this saying, oh, it's only K through three is just disgusting. This guy should not be in office. This guy shouldn't be allowed to freaking speak to people. Yeah, I mean, did you see him uh, yelling at the high school kids for wearing masks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> like an embarrassment theater. society. Yeah, he's, uh, and he, his, um, like, the first time I became aware of him was when he's running for governor and was just, like, completely, like, Trump bootlicking for the entire ad and, like, teaching his kids to say MAGA and, like, building a wall out of out of uh, blocks or whatever it was um but he apparently like he's um i mean it's to some extent it is an act that he is putting on for you know for political ambition reasons I'm not saying that to absolve him of anything just to kind of uh state a fact 
Yeah, and and apparently, like he's not very good at like regular human interaction. I'm shocked. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I heard I heard talk on on a podcast about that. It's like a weirdo, it's just like Ted Cruz, complete weirdo that nobody likes putting doing a put on. Just thinking that they it, they have such contempt for their own followers you know thinking that they're dumb enough to go along with all the bullshit and i mean they they the are is, is that their followers are like there's yeah it's, it's so disgusting like the people that i see that are like trying to rationalize this and the social workers that i see who live in florida trying to be like oh nobody actually read this bill like it's not that serious like it is that serious it is very much that serious I don't care what grade this is for or what area of society you're trying to regulate this for. It's disgusting. It is legislative gay bashing and it just needs to yeah. end. Like you are torturing people for no reason, for absolutely no reason, except like your own fucking insanity and your desire to run for president to mobilize your Christian base. Well, you know what? Maybe you should have the balls to stand up and say, you're wrong about this and we're going to stop doing it. Like stop, everything doesn't need to be political theater. Like you can get up and actually tell people like you need to learn something new, go freaking talk to somebody, like go, I, I don't know, get a fucking therapist to get over your desire to interfere in other people's personal lives that literally has nothing to do with you. Your religion should not extend beyond yourself. Yeah. Yeah. They're all about personal freedom. It's their, you know, it's personal freedom for them to do whatever they want and the freedom to make everyone else do what they want. Also, like that's, that's the, uh, those are the libertarian instincts of the uh, Republican party. Um, disgusting. Yes. Um, Speaking of disgusting, our next topic uh, touches on the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, the LGBT network of Long Island is one of New York's largest LGBTQ nonprofits and is helmed by a prominent gay activist, David uh, Kalimnik. Am I pronouncing that right? Kilnick. Just Kilnick? Yeah, okay. I think the M is silent, but I could be wrong. Oh, interesting. Um, to, so this is according to New York Post sources, uh, has long bragged about his many political connections. So an investigation that began in 2019 found it was mishandling the millions in taxpayer dollars it received each year. Um, as a result, the organization lost seven contracts with the State Department of Health which represents $10 million in state funding that they've lost. Um, the group received uh, at least 65% of its funding from taxpayers, as long as billed itself as the premier provider on the island that fulfilled a range of crucial services to the vulnerable community, including housing, substance abuse help, and HIV prevention services. Uh, but when it came time to file paperwork to the state proving they were using grant money effectively, the state comptroller and DOH Department of Health found, quote, serious accounting issues, unquote, and the group was unable to provide records showing they were properly using state funds. 
So, um, and apparently he was always big on the ability to get grants, didn't really care about the implementation. And it seems to be borne out by the uh, investigation. Yeah, this has unfortunately been one of the more publicly acknowledged secrets of Long Island for a long time. Um, that this organization just wasn't really doing what it should be doing with the money that it's getting, um, which is really unfortunate because there's plenty of other organizations um, that have been trying to get grants uh, and willing to do this work. And, uh, you know- and now they will. And now they will. Um, yeah. you know, it's just unfortunate that <laughs> it took this long. Yeah. This happened. This, investigation has been going on since 2019. I'm sure that it was hampered at least partially by COVID. There's always going to be that like COVID waiver for anything that was supposed to happen in the last two years. And it obviously was going to take longer because of everything that was going on. Um, but it's really unfortunate just from the perspective of, of not, you know, people not receiving the services that they should be receiving, um, but also just this idea of like political clout getting you places. Um, and I just, you know, obviously as I always do encourage social workers to gain their own political clout and make those friends with elected officials and then do what is right and not what is easy. And understand that, <laughs> you know, it's fine to have political clout if you use it the right way. If you're actually like doing what you're saying you're doing. Um, because this, you know, this has been an issue for many years <laughs> and it's really, really unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, so it's been man, like an open secret. Type yeah, of it's been an open secret. Like this man got mad, you know, at the person that I was working for. I don't think that he necessarily tied it to me, but it was, it was, it, I was the one who was inviting people to a an event that the government was having for LGBTQ month a couple of years ago. And David Kilnick got mad because we invited organizations other than his, um, which is just psychotic. Like it wasn't, you know, it had nothing to do with money. It wasn't, it, it, it literally had nothing to do. No one was getting a grant out of attending this event. It was just an event to like commemorate Pride Month. Um, and we invited a bunch of different organizations, students, as I am always encouraging students to go to these sort of events. Um, and he literally got mad at the elected official that I was working for, for inviting other people. And I was like, what, like, how, how full of yourself can you be <laughs> that you're pissed that we're trying to get a bigger crowd to show support? <laughs> like, yeah. It just, it, it, boggles my mind, but I'm just, I'm very happy that, um, that, you know, this money is going to go to places that are actually going to use it, nor, you know, not that I'm a huge proponent <laughs> of these, you know, mega health corporations, but, you know, Northwell has been, you know, working on ramping up its LGBTQ services, especially like its trans healthcare services over the last couple of years. Um, and I'm sure that they would be happy. <laughs> to be doing this sort of work um, and to be able to get access to more money to do this kind of work. Um, you know, and there's other organizations on Long Island that are doing this, you know, very dear friend of mine works for PFY. It's a much smaller organization, but they do a ton of work. 
We have quite a number of social workers intern there, students intern there every year. Um, you know, I'm sure that they could use some of it. Uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, too, has been, you know, over the last couple of years ramping up. It's, it's especially, I think, um, it's trans healthcare services, like, could use some of this money. So now it'll go to organizations that are actually doing it. Yes. Hopefully they are furiously writing grant proposals now or revising existing ones or something. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know that they've put out, you know, I don't know that the government has put out the RFPs. I know that they stopped giving the money to this organization, but I don't know they put out the RFPs yet for new places to apply for it. And unfortunately, there's going to be a further gap because we all know how how quickly the government works. Um, it's probably going to take a while to reallocate these funds to different organizations, but it's in the process. And I guess, you know, that's really all that matters. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I really hope somebody does with this is some kind of more, you know, transitional and permanent housing, because we do still have that problem, even in blue New York, everybody thinks it's so liberal and progressive here and it really isn't. Um, but we still have, you know, entirely too many because one is too many um, you know, youth who get kicked out of their houses and they need somewhere to go. Um, and housing is a huge problem on Long Island. And a lot of people end up in New York city. And, you know, if you want to end up in New York city, that's fine. But if you're from Long Island and you want to stay here, you should be able to stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Housing, uh, housing is a problem in the most liberal of places. Uh, to the bigger problem isn't, I mean, the, it's a huge problem. The housing is a huge problem. And I don't want to minimize that. The bigger problem to me is that there's still kids getting kicked out of their houses because they come out to their parents. It's just, you know, yeah. everyone thinks like, oh, it's fine. It's New York. Like, no, it's not okay. There are still bigots here too. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, tougher governments to do anything about the existence of bigots although all the, the they could provide housing and we could stop governments from passing these don't say gay bills because it yes urges this yes they yeah at the very least they can stop actively encouraging bigotry with these crazy laws yeah. is what i was getting at with with yeah. that um and yes, providing ample resources to those who are the victims of bigotry, certainly as well. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that that is part of this. We really, we need more housing options. Um, yeah. We need more housing options and feed all of the children. Every single one of them, Brentwood School District has been doing this for at least a decade. They provide free breakfast to everybody in the school district. I'm not entirely sure how they pay for it, but they have been doing it for, I believe, yeah, I believe it's 10 years this year. Um, and they feed every kid. You come into school and everybody eats together. It is fantastic. I think it is a great way to start the day. Not only is everyone fed and ready for class, uh, but they get to hang out with each other and just eat breakfast together in the morning. And I think it's a great socialization thing for kids to do. It's also something that anybody anywhere can uh, advocate for. 
you know, school board is, you know, the most local of uh, political bodies. So you have the best chance to influence it. Um, go to school board meetings, you know, and advocate uh, for for universal school meals. It's certainly doable one way or another. You know, they did it in Maine, did it in Brentwood. It can be done. I, I think that part of the way Brentwood did it was applying for um, a waiver from the federal government. So they took some of their, some of the money they're allocated for having kids that qualify for free meals. And they applied for a waiver to use that to provide free lunch to everybody. Um, obviously making sure the kids who most need it are getting you know, breakfast and lunch is really important, but they use some of that money. So there's lots of creative ways to figure this out. And I feel like we should give a shout out to Sarah who is running for the Connecticut School Board of Education this year, who's currently a student in the MSW program. Um, everyone friend should, of the pod. And friend of the pod. Everyone should follow in Sarah's footsteps and run for their school board of education. If you have a kid or a close relative in the school district or you graduated from that school district, um, if you don't, which I don't, I don't live where I went to school and I thankfully don't have children because um, I would be Same. a terrible parent. Um, you know, you can also run, <laughs> you can also run for your library board, which my, one of my students did last year, Gina, and she unfortunately lost that election by six votes, literally six. That is the whole number that she lost by. Uh, but somebody on the on the library board resigned. So Gina was appointed tonight to fill that position and will be running again this year. So she'll be filling out that term, oh, wow. but also running for her own term. She was the first person called because that, I guess, I don't think it's like a rule where she lives, but it's a custom that if somebody resigns, they contact the like next highest vote getter from the last election. Um, and that was her. So she was appointed. She was sworn in tonight to the board. She did not take pictures or tell me about it because I would have gone, um, which is <laughs> why she didn't tell me about it. Because um, <laughs> I would be worse than her parent. Um, but she is running again for her own term. So you can do, there are many, many, many things that you can do that are not running for president or US Senate. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, indeed. Well, on that note, uh, we will end for this week. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, as always, to Iridian Falcone uh, for inspiring the podcast and our logo, and to my friend Vinny Alfano of Anonymous Hair Salon in Soho for our theme song. We will see you next week. <laughs>